Hello and welcome to the Mustn't Grumble podcast with me, Ian Moore. Um, this is my attempt as a lifelong professional pessimist, you might say, as a stand-up comedian, to try and find the positives in life. We've all had a tough time over the last year. Mental health has been batted about the room like a, like a squash ball and I, this is just my attempt to try and see if I can't improve my life just by just by trying to find the positives somewhere it's not it's not easy <laughs> I'll be honest with you it's I'm finding it harder than I thought it, I keep a list of stuff that cheer me up and I'm not adding to it a great deal at the moment which I I don't know there's a kind of the, there's a Chinese proverb that David Niven quotes in The Moon's a Balloon, and it goes like this, just when everything in the garden is rosy, that's when the weeds start blowing in. Basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, don't let your guard down, don't trust the good times, be ever vigilant, it's warning, for that shitstorm that will be dumped on you from a very great height. Well, um, I dropped my guard, and the shitstorm landed. I just recorded a podcast with my good friend, uh, writer, former comic Queeve McDonald. And we had a laugh and a giggle about writing books, about stand-up comedy, about life on the road as a comic. And it was great, great fun. It's it's the one thing I really miss about being a circuit comedian. Uh, the green room laughs, the camaraderie, the support, even the mickey-taking. Some might say banter, but as that word has moved so far away from its 17th century roots as good-natured joshing, and it's now just used by Weasley Burks on Twitter to backtrack out of an insult. I won't say banter, okay? Or bants, seriously. What kind of person uses the word bants? Anyway, I digress. As Queeve and I were saying our goodbyes, I bent down to pick up some, some notes that I'd dropped, forgetting that my lapel microphone was still attached to the laptop uh, and my suit, obviously. So somehow it slowly unraveled but got caught on the corner of the laptop pinging backwards and wrapping itself around the stem of a glass of Provencal Rosé. And the glass tilted, splashing some liquid onto the computer. And I tried to grab the glass, missed it, but delivered it a kind of glancing blow, which managed to tip the whole thing onto my keyboard. And it all happened in that kind of cinematic slow motion. And the intricacies of the disaster, everything so finely tuned and expertly timed was it was like that ridiculous you remember the mousetrap game that kids had in the 70s where it'd take you about four hours to set the thing up and it'd be over in 30 seconds it was a bit like watching domino lines you know those world record domino lines attempts anyways it was a thing of beauty but it was it also my bloody laptop with all the work in it and it you know it's it's lifeless there was a time when this would have immediately sent me into a kind of Basil faulty style rage. I'd have shaken my fist first at the wine glass, then at the laptop after pleading and exhorting and begging it to come back to life. But I just sort of stared at the thing like it had done, like it had nothing to do with me. And, and this happens occasionally. Sometimes on stage, things can be so serene as a comedian you're so in control of the room that you almost feel like you're watching yourself from above disconnected from it completely but that's when things are going well pouring a full glass of expensive rosé into your macbook air is not in any way things going well but i just didn't react i just kind of calmly wandered off to find some kitchen town whereas i once would have been jumping up and down and beating the, the bloody thing with a baseball bat and the thing that got to me was, is 
is this me getting better? Is this me now on a sort of relaxed plane, uh, a zen-like composure that is now governing all my instincts like some Buddhist monk? I mean, I, I hope not. I really do. I hope not. I, I genuinely feel like I need some angst, some angst in, in order to work both as a writer and certainly as a comedian. When I was first in therapy years ago, the psychiatrist was really calming and she said, you know, what you're going through is perfectly natural in and together we can get you through this, we can iron out the rages and the frustration. And I just started as a stand-up comedian at that time, working every week, Thursday to Saturday. And I needed to be a bit mental to do the job. I, you know, so, you know, she, she's saying that she can iron out all the rages and frustration. I'm going, well, that's that's great, but couldn't we just iron me out on a Sunday to Wednesday basis, maybe, because I need the rage and frustration at weekends, which didn't impress her obviously and but it was it was interesting being in therapy for the first time as someone who lives their life in an almost permanent state of delusion I felt it was somehow heroic to be seeking help um at that time the fact the fact that my marriage and the relationship with my young son was suffering because of me being ill and that seeking help was long overdue got lost somewhere in the diagnosis I I was diagnosed as a manic depressive, she told me, um, she said, Ian, you're a manic depressive, and that immediately cheered me up, because manic depressive, what, like Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan, manic depressive, like like John Cleese and Tony Hancock, manic depressive, all my heroes are manic depressive, I'm a comedian and I'm a manic depressive, I was telling myself, I must, I must be a comedy genius. Now, I know this podcast series is all about trying to, to focus on being positive, but that... I don't think that's a healthy way of finding the positive. So it struck me, while I was watching my computer drink all my wine, that there really should be a greater level of energy or emotion in my response. I was being too passive. Now, I I take antidepressants and have done for the last year, and the aim of this medication is to take the edge off the range of emotions, I guess, to try and rein in the excesses, if you like. There's... And there have been side effects, there always are, but I didn't actually research the side effects until I was in them. I'm not somebody who looks up the side effects of drugs before I've taken the drugs. I know you probably should, but I mean, if you did, you'd never take any drug, for heaven's sakes. So the side effects of these, and some of you, of these antidepressants, some of you men especially, may have had the same issue that I've had with the antidepressants. I, I had no idea what was going on but without going into too much detail I thought I turned into the world's greatest lover suddenly I had the stamina levels of uh, a porn star and, and no pun intended I was pretty cocky about it and as it was I had to half the dosage of the pills just just to get some normality back and frankly to be able to sit down on occasion so what I'm trying to say is was my reaction to my laptop disaster a result of this medication. I don't know. Sometimes a problem can be so huge to the individual that something else kicks in. Fatalism, maybe? I, I don't know. Something in your brain takes the emotion out of a situation and just goes, eh? Typical. And and that was kind of my reaction. I just, I'd almost expected it, if you see what I mean. Travel does that all the time, or did, over the course of 15 years commuting between rural France and wherever I was gigging wherever in the world mainly the UK but wherever in the world 
I had a lot of travel catastrophes. Some were self-inflicted, where I booked completely the wrong date. Some were the act of a vicious and vengeful god who made sure that Eurostar trains can't handle snow and ice. And some were some were man-made, you know, like uh, regular terrorist threats or even worse, French industrial action. Some were just the result of extreme, utterly disabling fatigue. But many times I had to rush across Paris by metro to jump on a train home. Sometimes I made it and sometimes I didn't. But those mornings, standing on a crowded metro, my cases, tiredness and inability to shrug things off just weighing me down like and the train would stop at this station or, or that station and it would take slightly longer than usual the train would stop in the tunnel for for seemingly no apparent reason and the clock is ticking away and so many times it felt like I was drowning I I'm a control freak um, yet so much of my life as a traveler or well, anybody's life as a traveler is is out of your control and more often than not, I couldn't cope with that. It genuinely felt like I was suffocating almost. One time in particular, my correspondence um, was particularly tight. I had, I think, 15 minutes to get from the Eurostar Gare du Nord to the TGV train uh, Montparnasse. It takes a minimum of 25 minutes normally. I had no chance at all, but you just... You, you give it a go and I got to Montparnasse and I heard the whistle of my train and ran as fast as I could which is not very fast when you weighed down with cases anyway and just dived through the train door and I couldn't believe it and I stood up and I got my breath back and just started laughing like a maniac I had no right to make the train yet there I was and I have rarely felt so joyous that rush of excitement and achievement was just astonishing um, and then I, I looked at my watch and as I did so I noticed the train on the opposite platform pull slowly out the station and it dawned on me that I dived onto the wrong train and I did the deflation from that height was just crushing it was like like John's you know John Cleese said in Clockwise it's the hope that kills you. And I just, you know, whereas seconds earlier I'd been laughing like a cartoon baddie, I now just kept slamming my head on the train door window and people were getting up to get off the train. They thought that, you know, I was clearly danger to them. And quite possibly I was. Um, so, I, and I eventually, I, you know, I just sort of slumped off the train and had to kill the next five hours waiting for the next one. And it's those kind of things that, that stick with you. Just before Christmas, I took Samuel, my elder son, to the local train stations because he, he had to go back to the UK. And we were standing in the station together under the departures board, um, waiting for his train for, to Paris. And his train was delayed. And the connection then in Paris would be a tight one. And it wasn't even me going but again my throat started to tighten I started sweating too and I felt I felt dizzy and I had a full-on panic attack and had to leave my son to deal with the travel himself because I couldn't cope and and that's clearly not good that is not going to help if I do have to go back on the road 
I've got through this absurd commute over the last 15 years by by always thinking I was an international spy striding through the airports or, or waiting on late night railway platforms and it and that helped and I know it sounds bizarre but it did help it does get you through things but at no point did James Bond stand under a departure board see that his train was five minutes late and start stuttering and saying he was going to be sick you know it's <laughs> I've blown my own cover so how do I go forward then? What's the what is the positive in this? If I, if I need to find one, I mean, do I even want to go forward? I think to put it in terms, very few people will understand. I think I'm standing on a tear in the time space continuum. I'm living in the past, concerned about the future, have no idea what the present is all about, or is the present, as I finish saying that, now the past? The words I plan to say are they the future, even though they concern the present and therefore are inevitably past. Now, look, I realise that I'm doing an awful job of explaining that. But the truth is, I really don't know what's happening to me. It's it's too simplistic to frame it as a midlife crisis or even as, a, as an existential crisis. I'm not even sure it qualifies as a crisis. I just don't know in which direction to look. There, there are things about my future that excite me, but they also terrify me. Then, but then they say you shouldn't look too far into the future, don't they? And then they also say you shouldn't concentrate on the past. But you can't just sit there going, and at the third count, it's the present, can you? We're not goldfish. The present is a culmination of the experiences of the past mixed with your plans for the future. And I think I've got kind of used to living sort of the present, as it were, at least what the present represents. Lockdown, curfews, no going out, no travel. And in truth, I've acclimatised to that really very well. And we still, we're still still in lockdown in France. Obviously, change, the change is slower here. But this lockdown, and I've no idea now if it's the second or third lockdown, has most definitely been the hardest. We've, uh, we've done well as a family, by and large. We've looked after each other. But in plane crash in the Andes terms, we've had enough and we're looking about now seeing which one of the others we'd eat first. Everyone's fractious and short-tempered with each other. It's a bit like being stranded on a desert island and we've got Wi-Fi. Most of our friends and family are in the UK, so inevitably our social media tends to look that way and it feels odd to see everybody posting photos of of their vaccine cards or, or having a, a pint in a beer garden. It almost doesn't feel like our world and it's that's an oddly lonely feeling and look i'm not saying everybody should ease up on the celebrations like sometimes you know you're told at christmas we're told to refrain from over celebrating because you know this is a very lonely time of year for some people well you know what go ahead knock yourselves out i say i'm not complaining about that i just think my problem is i'm undecided whether i want that world again or not my role in in the house here is ostensibly to provide some form of guidance for the younger members leadership even and they're looking at me for an explanation of what's happening and comforting words that that things will be all right or back to normal Uh, in other words they've had enough of the present and want the future to be like the past and I just I can't get on board with that 100% you know in fact getting on board is going to be the main problem clearly I tried to get over the train issue by taking a short train journey here on my own that and the train broke down and Natalie had to come and pick me up. I'm a travel jinx. I'm my own Bermuda Triangle. I might just change my name to Titanic or something. But I have to do it. I have to get over this. I have to. I have to be in London in June. Uh, now I've had my first jab. I, I you know, that's that's a that's going to happen. Even though I've been told I have to have three Pfizer jabs because I'm on 
weapons grade immunosuppressants. Um, they they said that three, <laughs> I've got a, three jabs. I'm I'm hoping that at least it'll turn me into some kind of superhero. I don't know if I need three jabs, but they're they're very they're very keen on it. Anyway, treat me like a pincushion. I thought I'd try and build my strength up. Though I thought, you know, what is what is this? Is a frame of mind. Get get, you know, try my all-round fitness. Try and improve it. Try and lose a few pounds. I, I was going back to work, so it's time to get my fighting weight back. So I bought I bought a fitness watch. Uh, went out on my bike uh, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I was out for two hours, far longer than I expected, and felt good. The first time I'd been exercising in years after after all the rheumatoid arthritis and and all the medications which are obviously clearly helping my body and doing it the power of good, you know, apart from weight gain, permanent erections and no immune system aside, obviously. I was so chuffed with myself, even to the extent of thinking I'd buy a new bike, a new expensive bike, make this a regular thing, you know, like every other middle-class dad who wants to hide from his family. I won't buy Lycra, obviously, it's, it's not a fetish. Anyway, I've decided not to. Um, I was out for two hours um, 14 kilometres I did. I know that's not, you know, you know, it's pootling about, but baby steps. I did two hours, 14 kilometres. And you know how many calories I'd burned, according to my fitness app? 4.19. 4.19 calories for two hours and 14 kilometres. What the hell is that all about? If I'd swallowed a fly while cycling, I'd have actually put on weight. 4.19 calories never mind getting well i'll burn more calories having a fucking panic attack it's i i don't understand the whole calorie things and i i know and i tried to look for the positive okay this is i tried to look for positive and in the end and calorie loss notwithstanding i enjoyed pootling about on my bike and i will do it again you know sitting by the river in the shadows of the chateau de sel i realized i'm a lucky man and i need to remember that more often i think and and at least I, I i i was thinking positively i was trying to think positively and then the laptop doctor rang me and he said he said it's uh, still not fully working but bear with me you know i, I hopefully uh, hopefully get it back to full work and order but he said i did manage to get all the wine out which is just you know great i thought i get to the end of the week and my laptop has lost more weight than i have Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. Um, it wasn't as positive as other ones, but it's it's like I said, it's not an easy thing to turn your your view of life on its head and try and try and find the good things. But it, it's actually a really good exercise to do. And if you do things that are that just make you smile, make you laugh, just make you feel comforted. I do think that's a big help. Um, and, and I want to take suggestions from people as well. So if you have any suggestions of things I should be doing or things that you really enjoy doing that just take you to a happy space, please get in touch at mustn'tgrumblepod at gmail.com and we'll do something on that in a future episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>